Amen, amen. That is right on the way, baby. You know, I was sitting there, you know, while we were singing that last worship song, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this. I looked over, and there's this music stand sitting there. And I said, why is that sitting there? You know, we used it Wednesday night to teach from, but it's sitting there. And a and hundred people walked by that music stand or saw it, and nobody moved it. You know, sometimes we miss the obvious, don't we? See, we got to be careful when we're doing God's work not to miss the obvious, like singing four days late. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, let's put that up here where it belongs. Get that out of there. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Something we didn't, I didn't mention this morning is that there really are seven miracles that John records of Jesus and Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, uh, Teresa, is, is the last, it's the seventh, the number of completion. And I told you, I hope you grabbed that this morning, that, that God uses that, the resurrection of Lazarus, to really push the Pharisees over the edge and put in motion the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's the number of completion. It really is. And tonight, I think this is number four in that series of seven, which we're not doing all seven, obviously, but it's just another one of those scriptures that really make you kind of scratch your head. As I was studying um, for the message this morning, I, I found an article uh, back when Sandy Hook took place and the 27 adults and kids were slaughtered at that school by that crazy guy. And, and you know, and Andy Stanley was being interviewed about that. And some of the things he said was, was very cool because he was being asked the obvious questions. How can bad things, why has God allowed bad things? And, and he said something like this. He said, you know, he said, we want this God um, that we carry in our back pocket. And he, you know, he does. We pull him out when we need him. He does what we want him to do, and we can put him back in. Something very similar to that. And he said these words, I don't believe that God exists. You know, God is God. God is sovereign, and God is working out his plan in our lives. Now, we, listen, we might as well get used to that. Because if not, again, you're going to see it of some next week and some the third week. You're just going to hear that guy of desperation, that cry of desperation, Teresa. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. God, if you had done what I wanted you to do, this wouldn't have happened. And God is God. You're, you're, you're not going to sway him. He's all wise. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. He really does know better than us. And so he's crying out again, as you heard this morning, trust me, trust me, trust me. Well, tonight we want to look at a story again. It's just one of those ones that will make you scratch your head. In John chapter 9, we run across a guy who was born blind. And so tonight's story is about blindness. It's about a guy who was born blind. And it's about a group of men called the Pharisees who just simply chose to remain blind to who Jesus Christ is. Now, along the way, the first old five verses are just pregnant with meaning. It's just full of meaning. And then we enter into verse number 6, the actual healing. And then beyond that, it's one of the craziest dialogues that you're going to find in the Bible. And we're going to learn a few lessons from that also, even as we journey through that. Now, we're going to move along pretty quick. We don't have time to cover the entire story. In fact, I probably got too many verses already. Um, but I've got, I want to give us enough tonight to get the synopsis, the overview of what happened. So here we go. John chapter 9 and verse number 1. Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. And he says these words, and as he was passing by, and as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, 
that he was born blind. Now let me read that one verse again, verse number 2. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, there was a natural assumption in the Jewish culture, and really, you know, really, yeah, yeah, let's just say the Jewish culture because we'll stay within that context. There was a natural uh, thing in the, in the Jewish culture that when a person had a certain station in life, for instance, if a person was blind, if he had leprosy or something like that, that he had somehow made God mad and God was punishing him. This is particularly poignant because in this case, this man was born blind. And the natural assumption, the natural assumption was, is that either he, which is kind of interesting, if you think about it, uh, to show you how flawed the logic is, the only way he could have been, had sinned before he was born was to sin in his mama's womb. Isn't that weird? But again, you see the disciples asking, did he sin that he was born blind? Somehow in the womb, his mother's womb, did he sin or did his parents sin? It was a natural assumption because he had the station in life that, that God was angry at him and God was punishing him. He was less fortunate because he did not have a favorable standing with God. Now, really, we see this in Job. If, if you look at Job and, and his buddies, you know, Job, the Bible declares that Job was innocent. But we see his three buddies over and over again attacking him because they, and these words are, are poignant tonight, they just knew, and we're going to hear the Pharisees say that, they just knew that Job had sinned. They just knew Job had done something wrong and God was punishing him. And by the way, please make that distinction tonight. The man born blind was born into a station of life and they assumed his parents or he had sinned. God does discipline his children. And God does disciplinations. But that is not the circumstance that we're looking at and studying tonight. So the natural assumption then is, is that this man had done something wrong or his parents had done something wrong and therefore he was born blind. Now don't miss three things. Note, note the fact first off that he was born blind. He never saw a sunrise. He never saw a beautiful flower. He never saw the face of a baby. He never saw any of that. How hopeless. You know, it's, it's one thing they say, you know, they say that um, a, one of the great composers, excuse me for not knowing, was not born blind, he, excuse me, not born deaf, he became deaf later because in the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, they're talking about this, this composer, and they said, well, how do you know what a sound, you know, what something sounded like? And he said he wasn't born deaf, he became deaf at a young age. So he could hear the music in his head. This man could never imagine the face of a newborn baby. Could never imagine how hopeless that from the get-go, his world was dark. Well, here's what you need to understand. That's true of us. Spiritually, we're born blind. Spiritually, we are born in darkness. And the only one who can open our eyes spiritually, the only one who can bring light into our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian today, if you are a Christ follower, you are, what did, what did John Newton say? I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. So see the hopelessness. See the total lack of compassion. Now, the way we get the story is, is apparently Jesus, apparently Jesus obviously saw the man and paused in front of him. But, but notice how they, they don't even see him. I mean, the, again, Jesus was, saw this man born from, blind from birth. And his disciples questioned, didn't even acknowledge the fact that this man even existed. 
There was a total lack of compassion on the disciples' part. We have got to be so careful that we don't lose our compassion for people. We've got to be careful we don't lose our compassion for people. We're going to see it again, just a little bit of the story. It's so easy to do when we see people at a lesser station than we are in life. It is so quick to judge and it is so easy to ignore. And the disciples totally ignored this man. And then the third thing is this. They're insensitivity. They're insensitivity. Here's a revelation. Blind people can normally hear. You don't look shocked that I shared that with you. Did you get the picture? Apparently, they are standing in front of this blind man. Ignoring him on an emotional level, but acting like he can't even hear. Because they say, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the guy's listening. The guy's listening. Listen, we must be careful not to lose our sensitivity to people. When we see someone in a difficult circumstance, whether it be physical, emotional, however it might be, we need to be sensitive to them. Certainly Jesus was. Certainly Jesus was. So, so we see this man blind from birth. Lord, who sinned? Here's what Jesus says. And this is the part that you kind of go, huh, on. Verse 3. Neither this man or his parents sinned. In other words, his station in life has nothing to do with God's disfavor. In fact, you could argue the argument that it has to do with his favor, but it has nothing to do with God's disfavor. There was no sin involved. I'm telling you, I've heard this with my own ears. We see people going through something, and you hear these words, wonder what God, why did God do that to them? I've heard these words come out of people's mouths, that, there be, that somehow God must be angry at them. God is punishing them. And we're not talking about salvation, it's just talking about people. In general. So, so Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sin. There's, sin's not involved in this. In fact, he says this. This came about, Jesus answered. This blindness came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Now, I can't soften that any way for you but here's what that says. This man was born blind so God could work in his life. This man was born blind so God could work in his life. Think about this. I thought he's got to be decades old. So let's give him a good round number of 30. Okay? In fact, you know what? I think it's 40. I think it does mention it somewhere in chapter 9. So let's say he's 40 years old. That means that God allowed him to be born blind and live for four decades so God could work in his life. Is that what it says? Can y'all get any other reading? You can't, can you? Because that's exactly what it says. Think about that. God allowed him to be born blind and be a beggar for 40 years, if I'm correct on that age, 40 years so God could work in his life. Now, your first response might be this. What kind of God is that? 
What kind of God is it that would allow a man to be born blind and be a beggar for 40 years so he could work in his life? A compassionate God. Because eternity is a lot longer than 40 years. Now let me say it again. Eternity is a lot longer than 40 years. Because of this encounter, and this is one time in a healing, there's no doubt this guy gets saved. Eternity, this guy was set by the road for 40 years, yes. But because of what happens in this context, because of the decision he makes, and because of the drawing of God in his life, he spends eternity not only seeing, but walking streets of gold. And I'm going to tell you, look at me. 40 years is worth eternity. You better keep that in mind. Learn that lesson well. 40 years is worth eternity. And apparently God knew it would take something like this, like this, to bring about the salvation in this man's life. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, why didn't it happen when he was 15? Because just like in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. In other words, at just the right time, God sent forth Jesus to this world. And dear sister Teresa, we heard your song tonight. Isn't it great when he's four days late, he's right on time. I'm telling you tonight that this was the day that God picked out to work in this man's life. He was not late. He was right on time. Now listen, as God works in your life, the same is true. He is sovereign. He is working out a wonderful plan in our world, but also in our lives. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. This man did not sin. His parents did not sin but that the works of God may be brought forth in his life. And then he goes a little bit further. He says, verse 4, we must do. Now, here's a good time. We, we try to be careful with the doing word because in our, in, our, in our theology, first off, we want to do, we want to bring works into salvation. We believe we have to do something to earn God's favor. And we have to be careful of that because we know by grace you can't earn God's favor with doing. Nor can you earn God's favor after you're saved and his blessing in that sense. So we kind of be careful these days with the word doing. Here's a right doing. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Notice, we must do while he sent me. We are the hands, we are the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not underestimate your role as a believer in Jesus Christ. Each one of you as Christ's followers are so valuable to God and his kingdom work. Each one of us has a role to play. For some of us, it may be going overseas. For some of us, it may be uh, working on Monday with the high school lunches. Some of us, it might be back in the nursery. Some of us, all of us, it's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have a role. So Jesus says, while we have daylight, while I have this freedom to work, I must work. Because, he says, night is coming when no one can work. Jesus was acknowledging something you need to acknowledge. You have a limited time. What are you going to do with the time that you've got? Let me, let me again, a, a phrase that's come out of my mouth about four times recently. I am so amazed how fast time is going by. Let me do it two ways. Now, to me, in my mind, of course, now I think about it. I think disco, was disco in the 80s? 70. What was the 80s? I know. Who knows, right? I, who knows what the 80s was about? You know, who knows? But, but anyway, 1980. 
Okay? Now, now those of you who've got to be look, not my old, but like older, 1980 was 35 years ago. Let that soak in. 35 years ago. The sound of music. The hills are alive. They're celebrating the 50th anniversary. The 50th anniversary of the sound of music. Time goes by so quickly. Already, we are almost finishing our third month. 25% of 2015 is nearly gone. Think about it. Time goes by. And Jesus knew he had a limited opportunity to work. His time was coming to a close. We need to learn that lesson. We have a limited time of which we can do what God has called us to do. And we should not, must not squander those days. We have a limited amount of time. And then verse number 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He didn't cease being the light, but the light was brightest as he walked among men. The, the, the time that he was walking as he was that light was shining light into the darkness of the world that day. It was crazy. It was crazy. So, with all that said, verse number 6. After he has said these things, and this is kind of weird. Okay, and I, I read about three commentaries, maybe four. Got the same answer. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. Now, my mama didn't want me to spit. Okay? Just telling you the truth. He spit on the ground. He took his finger and he made some mud from the saliva, from the spit. And he spread the mud on the man's eyes. Isn't that just weird? Yeah. It, it really is, Craig. I mean, he, he spits, makes mud, and then rubs it, I'm assuming eyes closed, on the man's eyes. How crazy is that? Now, the deal is this. There's no, he rarely, one other time he does this, actually two more times he uses spit. One time he spits on a guy and touches a guy's tongue. You know, he does some weird things with spit, but the bottom line is there's nothing really miraculous about what he does. There's no magic. I told a lady the other day, we anointed with oil, and I said, the oil has no power. The mud has no power here. But what it may have done is given the man a little nudge in his face. Because look what he says. He, he makes the mud, spread the mud on the guy's eyes, and then says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Hey, if I've got spitty mud on my eyes, I'm all for washing. So it may have been a motivating factor, a little nudge in the way, yeah, you know what, I need to go wash. Okay? So, so he washes in the pool of Siloam. He left, he washed, and guess what? Came back seeing. Isn't that wild? Now listen, listen, that really happened. That's not some Sunday school story that some guy in Nashville at Lifeway made up. This is the holy word of God, and that's exactly what happened. How cool is that? And I learned today, I didn't know it, but I learned today that, that there are really no records of anybody receiving their sight in the whole Old Testament. And yet it was a really big deal in the New Testament. Several times, God over and over again gives men back their sight. Because I think because of the spiritual picture that it is. So the dude, the beggar, comes back. He can see how incredible. Now, this is when we enter the dialogue, and it's just humorous. It's just kind of crazy. Here's what happens. So his neighbors, this is verse 6, his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar, okay? So the ones that lived around his neighborhood 
and the ones who traveled wherever his station was as a beggar, holding his cup out, you know, these people saw him. And they said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Now, I found something interesting. Did you notice it doesn't say, is this the guy who was blind? I mean, I could just see this guy standing there going. And they don't go, oh, look, he can see. They go, is that the guy who used to be the beggar? Yeah, it looks like him. You know, it is. I mean, it's kind of like you ladies, you know, you buy a new dress and you walk in front of your husband. And he goes, did you dye your hair? Uh, that would be a no, sir. I've got a new dress on. It's kind of like that. So these neighbors and the guys who saw him are going, is this the guy? who He's not a beggar anymore. Not to mention the fact he can now see, you know, he's not a beggar anymore. And some said, well, no, he's the one. And others kept saying, no, it looks like him. And, and he kept saying, it's me. I'm the one. Isn't that just kind of comical? I mean, the guy is standing there, you know, and someone's saying, is this the guy? I don't know. But it sure looks like him. He's going, it's me. It's me. I can see. It's me. I can see. And it's like they totally missed that. And, you know, it's crazy because I promise you this is the second best thing that ever happened to this guy. The first best thing is going to be when he, missed, when he confirms his faith in Jesus at the last verse that we're going to read tonight. But the second greatest thing is, he was blind and now he can see. He was a beggar and now he's not. He saw his first sunrise. He saw his first baby's face. He saw his first spring flower. He saw for the first time in his life. And they're going, is this the beggar? You know, Judy, my wife, tells me all the time, we don't know how to celebrate. And you know what? She's right. She's right. We as a church are so stinking blessed. Can I have an amen? amen? I mean, on like nine different levels. And believe me, if the other two guys were standing with me, we know it's not our leadership. It is nothing short of the mercy and the grace and the power of God for whatever reason poured out on this fellowship. That's what it is. We are wise enough to know that. I'm telling you, this is an incredible church, but I'm not sure we know how to celebrate like we should the spiritual victories that we experience. Again, 388 people chose to worship in this building this morning. That is just crazy. And we should celebrate that. When we do our financial reports and we don't hear Vicki say, um, well, we're, we're in trouble financially. We may have to cut this. And we don't hear that month after month. We hear about your faithfulness and your giving. We hear reports of, of record offerings to Lottie Moon, to Angel. All these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessings. We see. We need to know how to celebrate. And these guys, they're worried about was he the beggar or not? Rather than celebrating what happened. So what happens in verse 10 through 12 is we hear his story. His story. Therefore they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? Aha, they finally acknowledged that he can see. After saying, are you the beggar? No, you're not the beggar. Are you the beggar? You kind of look like the beggar. I wonder if you are the beggar. After all of that, he goes, well, how did your eyes get open? And he says in verse 11 something very important. He said, now remember he was blind. So he had, at this point, get this, 
he had not seen Jesus. Okay? Well, unless, unless he saw him back where it says he came back seeing. We, don't, we have no indication, though, that Jesus was there at that time. So we're going to assume he has not seen Jesus. Therefore, they asked him, how then were your eyes open? He said in verse 11, the man called Jesus. And then I'm going to go back and I want to bring that one important point down. The man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Salome and wash. So when I went, obedience, so when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know. Here's the deal. This is his story. It involved faith. It involved obedience. But look what it begins with. Do you see it? A man called Jesus. Now listen. Every story, look at me. Every story that you have, every one of you, if you're a Christ follower tonight, you've got a story. For some of you, it's a dramatic conversion. You know, he took me from drugs and alcohol and, and made me new. Uh, for some of you, you know, I went to church all my life and I met Christ and received His grace and I was made new. Listen, no matter how the story unfolds in your life, no matter what the details are, we all must share one common denominator and that is the foundation is Jesus Christ. If your story does not start with Jesus, you've got the wrong story. If your story starts with, I was a kid and some people went forward and I decided to get baptized and I've been going to church ever since. If, if your story starts with, well, I decided I need to get a good dose of religion, I need to change my life, I need to give up some habits, and Jesus is not there, you need to get a new story. Your story must start with Jesus. You don't need to remember the time. You don't need to remember the date. But you need to remember there was a time in my life when I did not have Jesus and there was a time when I did have Jesus. Because Jesus is the change factor. So do you have a story? And at the base of that story, does it start with Jesus? It must. It must start with Jesus. So in verse number 13, they brought them in. Now, the reason why is they weren't trying to get into trouble. It was really a notable miracle that he was blind and could see. And apparently he was a very um, well-known beggar, apparently. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. They were the religious experts. They were supposed to know about such things as this. And then we get a little caveat, a little detail. The day that Jesus made the mud, note that verbiage, made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Now this is a really big deal to the Pharisees. I'll just tell you right now. All they cared about were the rules. I'm sorry, that's all they cared about. So they brought this man, and John lets us know that this all happened on the Sabbath, because now watch how it responds. Look how, the, look how the religious elite respond. So again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed, and now I can see. Now look at this response. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Why do we know that? Because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. I don't care how many eyes he opens. I don't care how many demons he casts out. I don't care how many lepers he heals. If he doesn't keep the, the Sabbath, he can't be from God. And here's the deal. I need to write this down. The Sabbath according to who? Again, you've heard this. The Jews came up with hundreds 
of laws. You know, the idea about washing the hand, washing it up to the elbow. The Jews were famous for taking God's law and exploding it. I remind you, when we were in Israel in 1997, on the Sabbath day, we got on the elevator. And it's so funny because there was a restaurant where, yep, Jews worked. But they had the elevator rigged so that when we got on the elevator, we didn't have to mash the button. It automatically went to the seventh floor where the restaurant was. We didn't have to mash the button because that was work. And where were we going? To a restaurant where Jews were working. Hello. It's crazy. It's crazy. So Jesus wasn't breaking. The, what you've got to understand is Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath according to God's law. He was breaking the Sabbath according to man's law. Because man had taken the Sabbath and turned to something that God never intended it to be. And that was a burden. Their version of the Sabbath was a burden trying to remember to keep all those rules that God never intended. So we don't care what he does. He didn't keep the Sabbath. So he must be a sinner. Then others said this problem. There's a problem. There's a paradox. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And obviously, there was a division among them. Some people are saying, yeah, you say he's a sinner, but he opened his eyes. But you say he's a but he opened his eyes. He's standing here. How can a sinner do that? It's a real paradox. <laughs> and then they said to him, they asked blind man, well, what do you say about him? And since he opened your eyes, he said, well, he's a prophet. And at that time, he didn't fully understand. He's going to understand in a minute. He didn't understand. He said, well, all I know is he's a very special man. At this point, a very special man. So in verse number number 18. Now the Jews did not believe this about him, um, that he was blind and received sight. So they didn't believe the blind guy. All right? So they summoned his parents of the one who had received his sight. So they, they called the blind guy a liar, the former blind guy a liar, and said, we don't believe you because you already called Jesus a prophet, so obviously you're crazy. So let's bring mom and dad in. So they bring mom and dad in, and they ask them, in verse number 19, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? I just love this. I mean, you've got to love it. Well, we know this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, the parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. So this is our son. He was born blind. We don't know how he sees. But ask him. Because we've already asked him twice. You know, they're going to ask him twice. You know, ask him how he sees. You know, they, they basically threw their son under the bus. Now, you know why? Well, look at the next verse. His parents said these things. Because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, Jesus as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. The parents didn't want to get thrown out of church. By the way, isn't that weird? They throw you out of church? Wow, how crazy is that? This whole and by the way, all the time this guy's sitting there going, I can see. Can we have a party now? I can see. Let's party, y'all. Hey, I can see y'all. And they're debating and arguing about who did it, how it happened, call the parents and all that. And all he's doing is saying, I just want to have a party because this is the best day of my life. And they're like, oh, whoa, what it up? Well, verse 24. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, 
Now, this is important. Give glory to God. We know, remember those words? We know that this man is a sinner. So they're trying to divide Jesus and God. Give glory to God because we know Jesus not only is not God, he's a sinner. Okay? We're trying to divide Jesus and God. And by the way, is that a debate today? You know, if the world, you know, the world has a problem with us about how we live, and I get that. But a lot of people have a problem with Jesus. They just can't get over the fact. I've told you before, the gospel is going to be offensive. Let the gospel offend people, not us. Let the gospel offend people because it's offensive. Because I don't know about you, Blair, but I honestly believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. I believe Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. I believe that by His sacrificial, bloody death, my sins were atoned for. I believe he got up on the third day, and I even believe he's coming back. Amen. So the gospel is going to be offensive. But let's not us be offensive. So he finally said, we call him in the second time and say, tell us once again whether, he is, or whether or not he is a sinner. And that's what the man said. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know this. I was blind, but now I see. The undeniable fact is, I, listen, I was this, and now I'm this. And that should be also part of the root of your testimony. Even if you were the most perfect little angel child and you got saved when you were six, still you should see sanctifications, the good spiritual word. You should see growth in Christ as you journey. I was this, and now I'm this. And then we end up with this. Now we're going to skip down to verse number 35. For time's sake. So Jesus finds the guy. Remember now, he's not seeing Jesus. So when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, isn't it? I read that and go, it's crazy. The reason, you know how you get people to obey? You threaten them. His, the parents lived in fear that they would be excommunicated. Now, I know in our culture, you get excommunicated from the Baptist church, and who cares, you know? You know, no big deal. But back then, it was their life. They, where are you going to get buried? There are only Jewish cemeteries. And if you get excommunicated, how are you going to get buried? What are you going to do on the Sabbath? It's such a grand part of your life. You can't. I mean, it was a big threat. So when Jesus heard they had thrown the guy out of church, and oh, and by the way, we got to be careful we don't. I'm telling you, we've got to make sure that we stay the kind of church where sinners can come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be comfortable, not feel uncomfortable. We've we, we got to make sure we're the kind of church that is a hospital and we expect, including ourselves, we expect sick people to show up. We're not a country club. We're not an exclusive club. We are a hospital for sinners, including ourselves. Amen? Amen. Including ourselves. So when Jesus heard they had thrown the man out, he found him. And by the way, Paul's there. That's how it works. Jesus found the man. Now, watch this. God's not lost. You didn't find him. He found you. And that's important. He, I'm glad that God is a seeker God. I hear a lot of talk about seekers. We've got a seeking God. He seeks out sinners. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Come on, amen? Aren't you glad that, that the bloodhound of heaven sought you out? So Jesus found him. 
and said, this is so cool because it really nails down what happened in this man's life. Do you believe in the Son of Man? God's not seen before. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He said, Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And look at the response. Verse 38. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. The first and greatest day in this man's life, he saw spiritually and he saw physically. Those 40 years that he sat by the wayside are like a fleeting memory as he begins living eternally. Now, in a place called and did you see the natural response? Did you see it? The natural response to faith is worship. The natural response to salvation is worship. The natural response to salvation is gratitude. Not, not Pip saying, excuse me, sir, can I have a little more? Man, when, when you've got grace, you've got enough for all eternity. Just relish. Just, instead of saying, God, give me something more, pull God out and say, hey, God, I want, I, want, I want the car he's got. I want the house he's got. I want the title he's got. Just remember this. Because of God's amazing grace, your feet will never feel the fires of hell, and your feet will walk in a place that has streets of gold. That's enough. Amen? That's enough. Would you bow your heads with me, please? What a cool story from the Word of God. What a cool story. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your take-home will be tonight. There are several it could be. It could be maybe God spoke to your heart about how we treat people. Understanding, now listen, understanding your lost neighbor is in a state of hopelessness. He lives in darkness. And Jesus is the light. That may be your takeaway. It may be you learned tonight that we need to be sensitive to people. Especially people in a lesser station in life than we are. We should be sensitive to those people. That, that may be it. It might be, perhaps, that you understood tonight that you have a story. And that you need to be willing to share that story. Just like the man said. Well, here's what happened. A man named Jesus. You may have even thought tonight and said, you know what? My story doesn't have Jesus as foundation. My story starts with, I've always been a Christian. I've always gone to church. And you realize, you may have a wrong story. If Jesus is not the base of your story, the foundation of your story, you've got a wrong story. Perhaps it was that. Perhaps you learned tonight that as a church member, we've got to be careful that people feel welcome because we are a hospital. We're a place where sinners can come because we're all our sinners. Some saved by grace, some not yet. But then we're a hospital. We've got to make sure every time, if, if God is good to us, on Easter Day, about 600 people are going to walk in this building. If God's good to us that day. Maybe you need to start saying now, God, help me to love every one of them. No matter how they smell, no matter how they look, no matter how kind of car they drive or where they live in town. Whether you saw them down 
town drunk Friday night and church on Sunday does not matter. does not matter. Maybe you need to start praying tonight. God, help me to love people. Jesus, like you, love people. I think tonight's one of those nights I'm going to let you stay seated with your head bowed and I won't ask my friend Dave to sing for us. And as he sings, you spend this time at your altar right there. And of course the real altar, you know the real altar, the, the down front altar is open too. And if I can pray with you, I'd be glad to do that tonight. I'd be glad to do that. So spend this time uh, with your God. With your God. And say, God, this is my takeaway. And I need you, Father, to work it out in my life. But David, you sing for